Welcome to the GFT podcast, Your Immutable Future, where we're going to be speaking all about um, one creation today. And we have our two guests on the show, Zohar Hod, the CEO of One Creation, and Guillaume Fortune, Delivery uh, Director for International Business at, at GFT uh, Spain. Welcome to the um, to the show, gents. So um, great to have you on here. And uh, maybe we can just kick off with the uh, how did this come to play? So how did you uh, get the idea of um, building out One Creation, uh, Zohar? It's obviously quite an ambitious project and it'd be interesting to know a little bit about how you came up with the idea in the first place and, and, and what, you know, what was the spark that, that created it? Sure. Um, thank you very much and, and good to see you today, David. Uh, basically, the idea came from two types of um, of issues. One was a personal one, and the other one was a business issue that um, you know was constantly bothering me. So when in my past I used to sell a lot of data, uh, we're talking about billions of dollars worth of data, and one of the things that was um, really constantly in my mind was around data leakage or the misuse of the data that we were selling, and always you know was sending auditors to my clients to to make sure that they are adhering to the ways that um that data is being consumed and you know that was never a great relationship or a builder by sending your client uh, an auditor so i always wanted to think if there was a technology that could actually create almost like a gps on your data that was one of the business ideas that came a few years before i actually joined digital asset and when i joined digital asset holdings i was really open to this whole notion of decentralized finance decentralized distributed uh, systems and really fell in love with smart contracts and their ability to control privacy or what we call subtransaction privacy between different nodes on the ledger so you know connecting that um, knowledge together with the idea that I wanted to create a GPS on my data was was the main catalyst. And additionally, from a personal perspective, my son uh, is a type one diabetic. And after you know we he was diagnosed, we really got a lot of advertisement uh, and a lot of information about my son that I didn't really feel that I ever gave anyone the permission to use. So then I wanted to connect, you know, the notion of providing a GPS on your data with the ability to actually control the data once it's leaving my premise or my embassy. And that's really how the idea around uh, one creation came about. So thank you for that, uh, Zohar. Um, that's uh, really, really interesting to see how uh, how it came came to be and and, and definitely um, in terms of user uh, data rights, you know, I can see how that um, is a really important uh, part of our daily lives now and and uh, is, is something that we should all be very aware of. I think more and more people are actually becoming more aware of it. So um, maybe from from delivery and development point of, uh, uh, of, of the project, this project uses a lot of uh, different cutting edge technologies, so like DAML, cloud, obviously data management um, and fast data. How has that helped the team design a product uh, that's more efficient and secure, do you think, um, Guillaume? So yes, um, as you said, uh, the platform is based on a, on a modern architecture, uh, starting with a UI which is built in AngularJS, then secondly, the application workflow, which is implemented under a Java microservice architectures. 
As you pointed out, we use smart contracts implementing DAML to orchestrate data publication, uh, to manage consumption, uh, apply pricing rules, for instance, and generally speaking, to enforce digital rights, which is the aim of the platform, as uh, Johar said. By uh, using DAML, we can ensure high levels of privacy and abstraction. Yeah? As persistence layer, uh, we are using AWS RDS uh, policies as SQL, and everything is ready, and this is thanks to the flexibility on DAML, uh, to be hosted within a distributed solution if uh, were required. Okay? From an infrastructure point of view and on some of the core services, we are using AWS. Uh, to mention a few, uh, we use CloudFront uh, to distribute the, the front end. We use S3 as data file storage and also uh, to, to store the code itself. Uh, we have also uh, EKS, uh, which is the Kubernetes cluster, to orchestrate all the microservices. For monitoring purposes, we are using both CloudWatch and Datalog and Code Pipeline for, uh, to run the CI/CD service. Uh, and last but not least, we have recently onboarded uh, Redis, which is a, a native AWS cache, to make the platform uh, much more efficient. So thanks to all these, as you said, we have been able to deliver a scalable platform, which is very efficient and secure. So it sounds like you're um, really got the full-on uh, cutting-edge tech stack. It's, it's very exciting to work with something um, Indeed. as, as Indeed. innovative as, as that. It's, uh, it's great. It's great. So um, maybe another one for, for Zohar. Um, like one creation, um, I think we both come from a financial services background, and one creation when I thought about it, you know, at first, I suppose I was always thinking about financial services data and how it can be processed and, and shared and, and monetized. But it's actually a pretty open platform. I mean, you spoke about healthcare uh, previously. Um, I don't know if, if there's any other uh, interesting use cases that you've, uh, that you've run through and what are the benefits for um, using one creation in different areas? Yeah, thank you. Um, I wanted to, to add to Guillaume's uh, um, statement as well that except from this cutting edge technology, the combination of smart contracts and very sophisticated privacy enhancing encryption technologies is what gives us the ability to create um, a GPS that has almost like an embassy envelope running around it. So if you think that your data, whether you're an enterprise or an individual, might have the uh, rules that you have set for the usage of that data enforced anywhere the data goes in the ether on the cyberspace the digital economy then this is a, a, a really um, big use case and that means that it could be used anywhere from individuals to enterprises from um, uh, media content to regular uh, content so I would say that the platform itself has three main use cases protecting content and data, leaving an organization, uh, what we call the external use case, the internal use case around the enforcement of digital, of data usage policies, meaning not just saying that this is what the rule is, but actually technically enforcing internal data usage policies. And by that, getting a lot of security and data lineage and other benefits from the platform. And then the third one is what we call visibility from, if you were an organization anywhere in the world right now and you wanna to comply to regulations, and even if you didn't wanna to comply to regulations, you just wanted to do the right thing, we think that you should be able to show your users how you're using their data. And that is applicable in so many different regulations, so many different industries, uh, whether it's the retail industry, 
loyalty programs, healthcare, music rights, legal tech, um, uh, and of course, uh, financial services um, uh, regulations. So what we're giving is control and visibility to the user and to the enterprise to show where the user's data is being used. And we think that that's really the first step in providing trust. And one of the biggest issues that we see currently in the industry is lack of trust in corporations, lack of trust in governments. And frankly, you can't blame us um, for that lack of trust. However, we think that our platform goes way beyond financial services and the establishment of trust is a differentiating factor. And we see a lot more enterprises from different facets of the of the world with different um, types of organizations, including government, um, that are interested in providing this trust and self-sovereignty of data to their clients. And therefore, our target addressable market is literally everyone. Uh, every corporation, every bank, every industry, every hospital should offer its clients the ability to see where their data is being used. Um, and that's why we're so excited about what we built. Thanks, Johan. I mean that. Yeah, that, that's really quite something, isn't it? To be, to be on the on the you know on the cutting edge of something which is potentially you know applies to so many different areas, um, and is is really needed uh, to be able to have that visibility of what people are doing with with their data, and and enforces it as you said before using um, uh, cryptographic uh, techniques and 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 technology and and rules that are based in, for example, in DAML or or, or smart contracts in more in more general. Uh, maybe. Moving on to, to smart contracts and DAML, um, obviously that's what defines the workflows in or creation, and that seems to be one of the uh, leading, let's say, uh, workflow automation uh, languages for uh, the enterprise arena. Um, and GFT have done a lot in this area and been delivering uh, projects for you know the last uh, what four or five years now. Um, what do you think? Is uh, you know the real differentiator um, for Daml, uh, Guillaume, um, and why 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 are people using that instead of other uh, smart contract languages in, in their projects? So yes, as, as I said uh, before, um, we use Daml to, to orchestrate uh, data publication, uh, manage uh, some of the key functions around data like the consumption, pricing rules, and broadly speaking, to enforce the digital rights, but. Which is the reason we use DAML for this purpose? So firstly, because it provides uh, high levels of privacy and abstraction, which uh, are key aspects when it comes to managing data rights. Yeah. Secondly, due to the usability. Um, using DAML facilitates uh, modeling complex data schemas uh, for your applications and enables to track uh, who has access to the different parts of the data, I would say in a pragmatic and easy manner. Thirdly, DAML is much easier to use uh, in compared with competitors like Solidity and uh, Plusters, uh, uh, makes uh, easy reading and understanding for both technical and non-technical people. So it's a vehicle uh, that uh, puts in common uh, language between uh, business people and IT, which is one of the key uh, success factors for these sort of challenges. And last but not least, uh, DAML is highly flexible. And I think a good example, as I said before, is the way we implemented our own persistence layer. So right now we use a single instance uh, based on AWS RDS uh, Postgre uh, solution, but it's pretty simple, I would say, with doing minor changes to be moving to a distributed approach, uh, like using uh, a DRD solution like Corda. Yeah? So these are for me the main reasons why uh, DAML is the right choice for these sort of challenges. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, th thank you. Thank you, Guillaume. I think, yeah, de definitely the um, how efficient it is to be able to write our code. I mean, um, I think there's quite a lot of statistics around that, about the amount of code that, that you write compared to uh, in DAML compared to something like, you know, Solidity, for example, and, and how efficiently you can do that and the amount of time that you can save. Um, but I, for me, I think, you know, in, in my experience, and I've been on both sides of this, uh, as, a, as a developer being able to show what you have written to your, uh, you know, your business side colleagues, um, and as you're, as you know, being on the business side and looking at, at, at developers' code, that ability to be able to talk the same language is like super powerful. And I think that's been really, really great. And it means that you can just prototype really easily as well. So, um, so, so I think for for, for me on 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 that side, I think like the prototyping ability in, in Daml is is it's fantastic, and it's always been uh, a pleasure to use it as well in, in the projects that we've used it in. Actually, David, do you mind if I add one yeah, more? Sure, yeah, sure, yeah. So, Go ahead. you know, as, as somebody that worked for Digital Asset um, before and was part of the team that open sourced it, so number one is it's open sourced. So uh, it's it's available, there's a community around it. Um, and, and as you said, the abstraction here and the ease of um, of development is, is really great. The second thing is that DAML works on multiple persistence layers. And therefore, we even have a client where we're going to install um, the system is half on a centralized database and half on a decentralized database. Um, could be Corda, could be VM, um, the VM blockchain. But the interesting thing is that, you know, not a lot of solutions provide the migration between a centralized world to the decentralized world. And I think that the reasons and what we've chosen here from an architecture perspective provides the ability to have an application that's decentralized by nature, by nature, but acts on both centralized and decentralized um, persistence layers, which is very powerful in terms of the migration and adoption of blockchain types of solutions, um, you know, to the industry. You don't have to fall off a cliff and adopt a brand new technology in order to get the benefits of the decentralized application that we've built. Yeah, that, that that's a, that's a really good point, and I think all of the work that they're doing now on Canton as well is really interesting in that respect as well, because you can have these two things living living beside each other in the same in the same network, so decentralized networks and like uh, Hyperledger Fabric or um, Hyperledger Besu living beside each other, and then in the same network also have a kind of centralized solution in another domain, which is, uh, for example, like Postgres. So exactly. I think it's 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 really fascinating stuff that they're doing um in, in digital assets and um yeah really really brings a whole new whole new life into the um into the dlt space where it seemed to be very much about you know you choose one type of technology and do one thing you, you have to make another type of technology choice and do another thing this kind of opens up opens up the doors to uh, to a lot of possibilities absolutely de-risking the ledger choice was a massive reason why we chose to work with demo yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense so um, maybe uh, maybe one one for everyone then to uh, uh, probably the last question today, but an an interesting one. Um, so maybe like looking uh, in the crystal ball. So maybe ten years time from now, uh, where do you think uh, data rights management will be in ten years time? Where, where do you think this is? In which direction do you think this is all going? I suppose, and uh, maybe I'll add uh, my comment on the end of this. Oh. It's a long so, time. <laughs> yeah, no, ten years is a long time. But I would say that I I call the the next decade the decade of trust, 
Um, I believe that, you know, the last frontier as it comes to the migration of our lives into a fully digital economy, and of course the pandemic helped a lot uh, with the catalyst to move us into a more and more digital economy. You know, data consumption is changing, uh, patterns in data consumption is changing. And the one thing, the last frontier that we didn't really approach yet or, or disrupt yet is our own privacy. And because of that, uh, even as, as uh, early as yesterday, you know, the hack into T-Mobile and 40 million, you know, uh, clients lost all of their data, including uh, social security, you know, driver's license and so forth. Trust in corporations and governments and trust in this digital economy, especially for the younger folk that are constantly uh, active electronically, active on on making their purchases online, doing everything online, is really deteriorating. And the only way that we can bring back that trust is to slowly build it by providing technological tools that will that will give us first transparency, which is a way to establish trust, and then other mechanism to continue uh, and give us more control over over our uh, rights and our privacy rights. Um, and I think that this is the next decade where we're going to see both governments. I mean, you've already seen the uh, the regulations in Europe, but you could see how it migrates and it becomes even more and more scrutinized as it moves towards Asia. We've seen in in California CCPA. We've seen other four other states in the United States moving towards privacy rights. So if you ask me, in the ten years, there will be more regulation. Um, that will move and demand more control over rights and platform rights, data rights, uh, so forth. However, I don't necessarily think it's just the regulations that are going to be the catalyst to move this um, trust first type of um, try, uh, type of trend. It it will be the actual enterprises that will want to reestablish their trust and reestablish their loyalty with their customers and customer engagement, especially the ones that are very active with them. Um, and do that through technology uh, such as ours. So I do believe that the next decade is the decade of trust. I do believe that privacy instead of a liability can become an opportunity. And I think we're going to see that very soon. Guillaume, not that actually have. Yes, no, I, I fully agree on, on the expert. <laughs> but uh, let's say, considering fact like the, the amount of data generated is uh, daily is growing exponentially, considering that how powerful the data is uh, can be uh, uh, for many different businesses to take decisions, influence or deduce uh, behaviors. And the fact that the pressure of the regulations in terms of data pressure and use is increasing as well, all these are the ingredients that to make these sort of uh, solutions, these sort of platforms, uh, well, a real need. Uh, and, and let's say society will have some sort of a key dependency on this, this sort of solutions. Uh, I wouldn't say in 10 years, I would say now, okay? Yeah, I mean, it is an immediate thing. I think that my, my personal view is that I think what what will happen is that in the next few years, we will see the backlash about people not really worrying about their private data. And the reason that we're going to see that is that, um, for example, some of the schemes that they have in in, uh, in certain countries around how to give, for example, uh, like point systems based on um, your use of your data and the use of the things that you're doing with your data and how what you're buying and who you're seeing and where you're going and what you're doing uh, will give 
uh, indications to banks or to governments or whatever about the things that you can do with your life. So, for example, do I want to go and get a mortgage? Uh, can I get a mortgage? Well, maybe you can't get a mortgage because you flew too many times to to this place or to that place, or or maybe you have uh, you know been uh, walking down the wrong type of street. So maybe your life insurance is going to be affected, for example. So I think people at this point in time we're not we're not so. Uh, worried about how we deal with data because we haven't had the you know the real effect of like oh i actually go to a bank and i want to get get something you know be some line of credit i can't do that i think more and more what we'll see is that the banks and and uh governments and any kind of business will make make decisions based on those uh, those kind of those based on on data and on the other hand as you said gm um we're going to see more and more data. You know, if we look at maybe China as a crystal ball into how technology is going to be, you know, going and uh, city, you know, smart cities are going to be the future. Everything's going to be connected. We're going to have, you know, potentially we're going to have ideas which are going to be connected into how we, you know, open up our our, our car, how we, you know, pay for petrol, how we pay for parking, how we uh, get into our lift. Uh, everything will potentially be connected. So we'll have more and more information there'll be more and more data to be able to uh, be used and i think um it'll be interesting to see how the how the regulators deal with that one uh, and how uh, uh involved private companies will be in that and the different different jurisdictions so you know so, yeah. david I, i'm sorry to interrupt but i think that um i actually have in front of me uh, a very detailed research report that was done uh, by one of the large credit card providers. I can't mention whom because I'm under certain uh, confidentiality uh, agreements, but um, I can definitely say that it's a perception that people don't care about their pro uh, about their data. Actually, it's the older people that don't care about their data. It's, it's the me. Uh, people over 40 um, are the ones that care less about their data. However, people under 40 that actually are called active, meaning they do their shopping, 50% of their shopping online. They go to at least um, seven applications during the day. They visit at least 10 websites during the day. Those are people that really care about their data. And what they want is not just, um, they want some sort of a benefit, meaning the whole notion that we're giving our data in return for some access to a service, and that's the benefit. Some benefits are higher in consideration with people that care about their data, and some benefits are lower. For example, how my data will be used is more important um, to those users than whether my data is used or not, right? If the data is gonna be sold or shared with third parties is something that they care about, and whether the ability of my ability to change the permissions easily around the data is also a big factor. So we do see trends around data democratization, as we call it, and we do think that enterprises in, in return for that transparency um, uh, will have to give you better benefits um, in return for the service. It's either um, monetization of data or uh, better benefits for the fact that you're sharing sensitive data with them. But it's definitely something that uh, a lot of people do care about. It's just that it um, usually, from a statistical perspective, it usually goes to the more active users, which are usually in the young, younger ages.
Yeah, and that makes total total sense as well when you think about some of uh, you know large organisations, for example, like Apple and the way that they've kind of you know led their uh, their whole campaign around data uses and privacy, and that's really the the most important thing to to, to their offering. So, and their their focus is obviously in, on um, you know I, I would say like more active users, as you said before, and the younger generation. So, statistics you mentioned are also interesting. So it's a uh, it's uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see how it goes and we'll see what the, the next generation uh, has to come as well until you know in the future where we're all more connected data is going to be more important and how we deal with data and you know uh, solutions like one creation are going to be uh, really uh, really important I think in in that uh, environment so um, so we're coming up to towards the end of the uh, of the podcast um, I would just like to say Thank you very much to, uh, to Zohar um, and to Guillaume for joining today. It's been a pleasure to um, speak with you both. Do check out the One Creation website. That's one-creation.com. And uh, do keep on listening to the DLT and crypto podcasts here at GFT. And um, thanks to all of you listening in at home. <laughs>